Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. And as a reminder to our listeners, uh, this episode is eligible for a CME credit that you can unlock. So you can go ahead and check the show notes below and click the link and take a few seconds and write down what you learned from this episode. Whether you're a physician's assistant, nurse practitioner, or, or clinician of any type, you can unlock your AMA PRA Category 1 credit. And that's courtesy to our partner and sponsor for this episode, which is GT Medical. GT Medical is a really fascinating company that I've been following for quite some time now. And essentially what GT Medical is, is that they are a med tech company with a a surgically targeted radiation therapy, otherwise known as START, uh, with patients with inoperable brain tumors. They have a small um, uh, device uh, that is essentially placed by the neurosurgeon at the time of resection, uh, which is called gametile therapy. And what gametile therapy does, it gives patients a head start in the fight against brain tumors, delaying the recurrence and potentially extending survival. Um, what I really love about this company, what's exciting about it, is that rather than having sort of the shotgun approach when it comes to radiation therapy, they have a very precise and targeted approach to therapy. And you'll see in this episode, um, this episode is something that you can definitely listen to. But I will say that there are some times that uh, our speakers are going to bring up a few slides to uh, reference. Um, so you can either see that uh, on video format on Spotify or on YouTube. Um, and so it's a great, great lecture that we're going to be jumping into. And so our speakers today uh, are, are actually a really fantastic uh, duo. You know, for when it comes to this type of therapy, you know, there are two really important uh people that are involved. One is the neurosurgical oncologist who's going to be essentially resecting and placing the gametile therapy, uh, but also um, the radiation oncologist uh, who's going to be dealing with the uh, uh, post-op patient management. And so we have Dr. Matthew Sean Peach, who, uh, who's a MD, PhD, and assistant professor and director of brachytherapy services over at East Carolina uh, University Health Beaufort Hospital. And then from the neurosurgical side, we got Dr. Jay McCracken, who's a neurosurgical oncologist over at Piedmont Hospital in Atlanta. And so this episode is focused on redefining brain cancer treatment with surgically targeted radiation therapy. It's a really exciting approach. I think it's fantastic because it gives clinicians a more controlled uh, uh, approach to when it comes to treating brain tumors, and more importantly, at least from my perspective on what I've interpreted about the technology and how it's being placed, is that it gives you a lot more uh, of a precise treatment when it comes to brain tumors. Uh, so with that being said, here's our episode with Dr. Jay McCracken and Dr. Matthew Sean Peach. And again, don't forget to unlock that AMA PRA Category 1 CME credit by clicking the show notes below. And if you are a radiation oncologist or a neurosurgeon who's interested to learn more about GT Medical and Gamma Tile Therapy, I highly encourage you to go to their website and check it out. You can head over to gtmedtech.com. I have a lot 
lot of fantastic resources there. And I would really encourage you, go and check it out yourself. Get uh, booked for a demo or go to one of their trainings and you'll be able to see uh, the, 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 the technology in action. So with that being said, let's get on to our episode. Thank you all for joining us. Maybe, you know, before we kind of jump into onto the you know, topic of discussion, uh, maybe if you can both kind of quickly introduce yourself, give a little bit more color to your backgrounds. And Dr. McCracken, we'll go with you first. Yeah, so I'm a neurosurgeon. Uh, I've been uh, practicing now for well over a decade. Um, I specialize in uh, brain tumor work, really everything from benign uh, to malignant brain tumors of the, the brain, uh, the skull base, the pituitary gland and spinal cord. Um, and, uh, I've been in Atlanta now for quite a long time, with my wife, and, you know, we do, uh, we do a ton of cases. We serve over about 400 new patients a year. Uh, we do everything, uh, clinical trials, uh, upfront disease, recurrent disease. We treat a little bit of, of uh, almost everything. Fantastic. Fantastic. And Dr. Peach, how about you? If you can give a little bit of background to your, to yourself before we get started. So yeah, I'm uh, a uh, radiation oncologist, have been practicing for eight years. I was uh, very lucky to do my training at the University of Virginia, which has a very, very strong brachytherapy background. Um, and so um, being more surgically, surgical oriented, I got a lot of experience with that. And I took that uh, with me to Greenville, uh, where I'm the main uh, physician that does uh, procedural radiation brachytherapy. Um, been here for four years, and uh, it's kind of an interesting area. We serve, we're, we're kind of the main uh, academic slash big medical institution in the eastern one-third of North Carolina, um, and uh, there's a lot of bays, there's a lot of islands, there's a lot of bridges, so um, things might be, as the bird flies, uh, not that far away, but um, we have a lot of patients that travel extremely far to get to us, so um, it's kind of been an, a very interesting experience. Yeah. And I think that's one of the more interesting things for both of you, you know, given that not everybody can just go and get a procedure, uh, for neurosurgery anywhere in the country, you know, you have to go to one of the largest centers. And so as a result, based on where both of you guys are at, you probably see a very large amount of patient population uh, coming in. So, you know, one of you is neurosurgical oncologist, the other one, radiation oncology. Maybe let's get started with like why both of you have decided sort of to implement uh, gametile and what is gametile? Um, so gametile is a uh, uh, intraoperative uh, source of radiation that we place in a resection cavity after a brain tumor has been resected. So um, after typically somebody like me would go in and remove a tumor, uh, especially a malignancy that we know is going to need some form of radiation afterwards, uh, we place these small seeds of radiation within the resection cavity uh, to let it uh, start working immediately on any microscopic disease left behind. Um, this is actually a really great tool because it uh, allows the patient to avoid other forms of external beam radiation later. It's kind of a one-stop shop for getting all of their, uh, their treatment in one. Um, and for us, uh, it's been really amazing. Uh, we've had patients who we are concerned about whether or not they're going to have adequate follow-up whether they're going to come back and get, uh, you know, multiple rounds of radiation therapy later. Uh, and especially for people who live in, you know, rural parts of Georgia and maybe don't have access to, uh, you know, immediate care or, or care that they can get reliably. Uh, it's been a wonderful tool for us to use for them. Fantastic. Fantastic. Dr. Peach, how about you? 
Yes, sir. Around uh, a lot of the similar lines, uh, the kind of why we liked using it has evolved over time. Initially, it was the um, remoteness uh, of a lot of our population. Um, it was nice to be able to do a craniotomy and then give the radiation at the same time and not have to figure out how to bring someone back for one to sometimes uh, multiple weeks of uh, extra radiation therapy. Um, and so that kind of what got us going. Um, then once we started using it, we really found that because it's brachytherapy, it's implanted radiation, the dose falls off very fast. And that opened up uh, numerous patients who had had several rounds of radiation that otherwise through external beam means could not get any more radiation. Um, so we were really excited about that. Um, and then sort of our latest phase has been using it both in the recurrent, um, both for recurrent and also upfront uh, glioblastoma. Uh, essentially, biologically, you get more dose in with brachytherapy than you can with external beam. Um, and so we're, we're excited to be involved in the early work with that. That's fantastic. And it's really exciting to see because even for myself, I mean, at one point a long time ago, about 12 years ago now, like I remember... Uh, being in you know medical school and learning about glioblastoma and pathology and everything. And there was really not much you can do. And of course, like the big thing about radiation is just like, it was kind of like a shotgun approach. And it seems like this is a much more targeted approach. And we'll kind of get more into that. So, you know, next thing I kind of want to uh, cover is like, how does gametile, you know, di differentiation is really important. And so that's the first thing that I always think about when it comes to medical technology. But how does this differ technically from other forms of radiation, such as one is external beam radiation and the other one is traditional uh, brachytherapy. So um, how this kind of differs from traditional radiation therapy is that uh, with traditional radiation therapy, you have a very large linear accelerator, accelerator that is making x-ray beams. It's coming from the outside, it's going in. Um, but with that, there's always some dose that passes through you get with integral dose. Um, so no matter what, there's some normal tissue that's a bystander of that radiation. What makes brachytherapy different is that instead of coming from the outside in, you're placing radioactive sources either permanently or temporarily, in the case of gametile, permanently, into where the target of treatment is, going from the inside out. And with the very sharp dose fall off, you can spare critical structures in the brain significantly uh, in ways that you can't with any other form of external beam radiation therapy. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, bouncing back off of that, Dr. Dr. McCracken, you know, as a neurosurgeon, I mean, what type of brain tumors are best suited for treatment with when it comes to gametile? I know there's, there's a, there's a variety, but they're, you, you, probably it's not something you can use in every single case, unless I'm mistaken by that. No, you're right. I mean, we typically, you know, we consider for patients who uh, are going to need some form of radiation after resection, right? So there are a lot of benign brain tumors that we remove that we typically do not treat with radiation. So there's really no reason to use it for those. Uh, I'm talking benign meningiomas, pituitary adenomas, acoustic neuromas. We typically do not use that in those patients. Um, where we do use it uh, quite a bit are uh, metastatic disease. So uh, metastatic disease from breast, colon, uh, lung are the most common types of brain tumors that we see. Uh, and those patients can, they typically need either radiation alone or surgery plus some form of radiation. And so we look to those patients to say, you know, are we going to resect this? And then are they going to need adjuvant radiation afterwards? And typically the answer is yes. Uh, we use these in glioblastoma quite a bit. 
So glioblastoma is a horrifically malignant disease that always needs some form of radiation. And so what we are working with with gametile is, do we deliver this purely in an external beam fashion like we have for decades? Or now are we resecting the tumor, putting in brachytherapy in the form of gametile, and then either in the recurrent or upfront setting to see how these patients are doing, which is something that has not been done in decades in the hopes of trying to move the needle in, in treating these patients with glioblastoma. Um, additionally, there are other forms of very malignant meningiomas, what we call grade twos and grade threes, uh, that have a high incidence of recurrence. And so when those patients recur after their initial treatment, we are going back in for a second or potentially third resection. And then at that point, using gametile to kill any of the small cells which are left behind uh, so that they don't recur for another time. Interesting. And just on that, uh, on, you know, I think you may have co uh, covered it very quickly, but can you talk a little bit about like when patients receive gametile, do they have to wait to begin uh, adjuv adjuv uh, adjuvant therapy uh, such as chemotherapy or what does that look like? So we typically, um, we wait a reasonable period. I mean, two to four weeks. I mean, we really want to make sure that the patients are doing well after surgery. Their wounds are healing nicely. Um, we don't want to give them something like chemotherapy, which is going to knock down uh, their immune system even, you know, even worse right after surgery. So we typically wait two to four weeks, but the radiation alone does not prevent them uh, from having, uh, uh, you know, to not get uh, immunotherapy or chemotherapy. It's more Got from it. a surgical standpoint. Yeah. Got it. And just to avoid from covering your face up too much, um, I just want to remind the audience, if you have a question for Dr. McCracken, Dr. Peach, go ahead and just drop it in the comments again. We're live not only on LinkedIn, but we're also live on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so let me, uh, jump, jump to the next, uh, question. Um, so can you, uh, can you kind of talk about some of the main benefits when it comes to using gametol treatment for brain tumors? Cause it sounds like there's a variety of them, but what's, what, what, if you have to narrow it down to two or three key ones, what would that, what would those be? Well, I guess I could say that um, the, the one thing is immediate treatment. So for these more aggressive tumors, normally if you're going with external beam radiation and you're going through potentially a, a maybe well healing, sometimes not well healing craniotomy scar, you got to wait four to six weeks for that area to heal up before you consider doing radiation with gametile. There isn't that wait. And often, especially with glioblastomas, you'll get imaging immediately after resection. And then, um, you know, you don't see any tumor, but when you get a MRI at the time of planting the external beam, there's already some coming back. So you're, you're losing that, that kind of, instead of starting off being behind the cancer uh, with external beam, you know, you're hitting it right away. So one, that's very good to the dose. You, you just can't get dose that is, is biologically that high. Um, and three, you can't get dose that that's high, that is that high, that is also so conformal to what you're treating. Um, so you don't get a lot of random spill in, in other areas. Got it. And Dr. McCracken, before I have you jump in, do you mind if you either, I guess, sit up higher or maybe angle your camera okay. a little bit down? <laughs> so, there you go. That's a lot better. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Yeah. And Dr. McCracken, what about, what about you? What's your take on it? You know, we've, we've really found that um, in patients who have failed multiple rounds of radiation in the past for one reason or another, um, you know, going back in and then implanting, you know, uh, gametile has been a 
a great way for us to prevent local recurrence because, you know, it's very difficult sometimes to target radiation, external beam radiation, just based on a post-operative MRI, right? Or you're also worried about giving too much dose to a critical structure, the brain stem, the optic nerve, things that you don't want to injure. And so one of the best things about being able to do it at the time of surgery is that I can physically see where we are and I can place the tiles in a way that I know we're not going to hurt other parts of the brain. And so it allows us to treat residual disease or microscopic disease immediately without having to, you know, just guess on a post-operative MRI. Um, you know, and I think one of the one of the biggest benefits that we've seen is, um, and I and I talk about this all the time. Um, we have a lot of patients who come to us and they are neurologically already devastated, right? They've had a massive seizure. They're already uh, weak in their arm and leg because the the brain tumor is pushing on the motor strip, which controls those functions in the brain. We know those patients are going to have to go to some form of rehab before they are strong enough to get any sort of uh, external beam radiation or chemotherapy. And so the problem with that is that if you delay treatment too long, the, those tumors are going to come roaring back, especially in the case of glioblastoma. And so those patients who come in already in a very difficult situation, if we are able to resect their tumor and place gametile, I'm fine with them going to rehab because now they can, they can get as strong as they want over the next two or three months, but they're already getting radiation that they didn't have to wait for instead. And so to me, that is a tremendous benefit for some of these patients. And that's a, that's a, to, to piggyback on that, that's a very significant thing, um, the, the rehab issue, because depending on what state you are in, some states, insurance will not pay for transportation from SNFs or rehabs. So oh, interesting. So if you live way out, you're in a rehab that doesn't have transportation, it, it might be you, you're instead of starting at four weeks to six weeks, you might be starting eight weeks later, depending on how yeah. rehab goes. Don't have to worry about that with, with gametile. Got it. Well, and you know, that's kind of a good segue that I want to ask both of you again, you know, technology is always great, but every technology is going to have its own limitations. So maybe you can cover some of the limitations maybe that are associated with gametile. Of course, some of the challenges, again, it's a new technology. This is not something that uh, people are trained in, in, in fellowship to use. So like, what are some of the limitations and challenges when it comes to using it? So, um, you know, the, the one thing you definitely need is it, it, you need something that is either looks like it can be, for the most part, resected or um, with, with a little bit of disease left that can be covered by the tiles. There's kind of ways you can place them to cover that. For patients that are not an operative candidate, unfortunately, there's no way to, to deliver the, uh, those tiles. The other thing that we're kind of learning which areas might be um, a, a little more disadvantageous is anything where you're right on top of the optic chiasm. That's where the, the optic nerves kind of integrate and then go out towards the eyes. That area is one of the more sensitive areas to the brain. And so um, that's a place where there's been a handful of cases where we could do the craniotomy, but we wouldn't, couldn't really trust that maybe that area would get too much dose. So um, fortunately though, most tumors end up being more higher up in the cortex away from that area. So it's something that we don't encounter all too often. Got it. And Dr. McCracken, how about, how about you? You know, I think uh, from a limitation standpoint, um, we do run the risk of giving too much radiation if somebody's already uh, received a large dose in the past. So even if it was six months, 12 months, two years prior, 
you know, if you're doing radiation, it can be additive within the brain. And so we do have to be careful about uh, the dose somebody else has received and how much dose we are giving with the new tile implantation. So um, we are, we are very cognizant of that as well. Got it. Got it. So maybe kind of a, another good segue is like uh, to date, are you pleased with your patients, the clinical clinical and safety outcomes after being treated with the gamma tile? And again, like, you know, not everything is perfect. So please, you know, be, be, you know, can candid in this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think from a, you know, from a surgical standpoint, we've, you know, we have not seen an, uh, an increase in things like infections or complications related to the procedure. Uh, you know, every surgery has a small, you know, percentage of complications that it comes with, whether it be infections, spinal fluid leak, bleeding, seizure. Uh, from, from our standpoint, we have not seen an increase in those when we implant in these patients. So I think from a uh, implantation and tolerance standpoint, it's been very safe. I don't really have any concerns about that. Um, uh, and so, you know, it, from a follow-up and long-term standpoint, I've seen some patients who have lived well beyond what we would have ever expected because we're able to treat them locally. The first patient we treated was a lady who had a horrible metastatic breast cancer to the brain. Uh, we had, she had already undergone three surgeries, multiple rounds of external beam radiation, uh, and this had just kept coming back. And so we resected her, put in the gamma tiles, and then ultimately she lived another year without any progression in the brain, uh, and then ultimately succumbed to her systemic disease. Uh, in the same vein, we've also seen some of our recurrent GBM patients last well beyond the time we would ever expect, uh, well beyond sort of the standard, you know, 12 to 15 month life expectancy, you know, lots of people living well on to, you know, 18 to 24 months. Uh, and so from our standpoint, it's really given patients a lot of hope and it gives me hope too, uh, that hopefully we're moving the needle for some of these people. That's fantastic. And Dr. Peach, what about you as a radiation oncologist? Uh, you know, what, what's your take on the, you know, clinical and safety outcomes for your patients? Yeah. So, I mean, um, it, it is, uh, as a new technology, there's always been some cases that have come up where, uh, it gets my blood pressure high. Um, cause I am worried about, especially in the cases where, uh, people have had multiple rounds of radiation before. Um, and we really have not had any issues of significant radionecrosis. And in fact, uh, radionecrosis is basically um, dying off of brain tissue as a, as a result, normal brain tissue as a result of radiation. Um, we see radionecrosis at a lower rate than what is published out there on gamma tile. So we're really not having an issue with, with radionecrosis. And we've had some delicate cases. We had a, a, a pediatric patient that had a, a high-grade glioma, had one craniotomy just posterior to the motor strip, had a had a second one just underneath it and then popped up with the currents anterior to it. So basically in one of the worst areas you could do surgery on uh, on a teenage boy. Um, in this particular case, with the assistance of 5ALA, which lights up in high grade gliomas, we were able to do the uh, craniotomy, get a very good resection, place tiles in there, and there has been no complications whatsoever. Whereas with his initial surgery, he did have, you know, um, some permanent uh, hemiparesis on the one side of his body. Um, mm. So it, it has more than exceeded my uh, expectations from a safety standpoint. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because this is the thing that makes, you know, uh, I, I think anything in oncology is difficult. You know, cancer is a very difficult topic, but I think what makes, uh, you know, brain, brain cancer more difficult is that in the, in the process of treating, 
you can also cause something like a hemiparesis, for example. And so like you might have improved the patient's quality of life when it comes to the cancer, but their quality of life in other areas have now been affected. And so Dr. Peach, I kind of want to, you know, put you on the spot here and like, how does gametile impact the patient's quality of life compared to let's say other treatment options? Um, I, I mean, I, I think the, the number one way that it impacts patients is that it's a solution where there wasn't solutions before. We, we have patients that have had multiple, um, you know, similar to what Dr. McCracken was talking about, colon cancer, breast cancer, where they have had multiple brain mets over a series of years. Systemic therapies, keeping things under control relatively well, have had multiple external beam, multiple gamma knife. And doing any more external beam would just be dangerous. And so, um, you know, for those patients, um, we've been able to implant gametile, not have any really significant toxicity and, you know, have patients that are living years afterwards with no recurrence. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, these are patients that most likely would have passed had we not been able to do this. And certainly from a quality of life standpoint, um, you know, it helps to have really good surgeons. Uh, you combine that with um, this device, which really it hits the at-risk area. When you're doing, you know, unlike breast cancer, unlike colon cancer and lung cancer, when you do an oncologic resection, you're taking out a rim of normal tissue around it to make sure you have everything. Because you can I, you can do that with those organs, right? With, yes, yes. You can't do that with the brain. <laughs> with the brain, that's the thing. With the brain, you go for a maximal safe resection because you want to not have that significant impact on quality of life. Well, you know, for most of these malignancies, it's going to be the first five millimeters that's the high yield region of where there would be residual disease from a maximal safe resection, and that is the the zone that gamma tile is blasting. And so, from a quality of life standpoint, you're getting the dose where you need it to be. And then beyond that, you're not getting much, ra much radiation. Um, if you want to actually, if you pull up the, uh, I think the second slide that I have, I can kind of yeah. give, uh, give a sort of a, a, a graphical example of, of what I'm talking about. So Let's um, see. this one right here. Let me see. Yes. So, um, you know, this is a patient that, um, had a very significant scleroderma as a connective tissue disorder um, involving her scalp. So we were very concerned about having to treat um, with external beam going through what, what would not heal well. Um, on, with the gamma tile there on the left, the red is the prescription dose and higher. You're, you're blasting that surgical cavity. And then the blues, the low dose, hugs that region. Um, on the right, this is done with CyberKnife, which is the most conformal, focal, precise type of external beam radiation um, that there is. And mm -hmm. with its best attempt, you can see that we're over-treating the normal tissue. The red part is much larger. And then you have all these bands of green and blue. That's low-dose spill that is going elsewhere. And um, as Dr. McCracken was saying, a lot of these patients with, with gliomas do recur. Well, in the case of this patient... If she does recur elsewhere, just outside of the resection cavity, we have an opportunity to retreat. And there has been people that have gotten gametile up to three times. Whereas with the patient that had external beam, 
we might be limited as to how much we can go back in. Yeah. And again, I mean, even for those who are not clinicians, you can see, I mean, you know, gamma, gamma tile, again, what I like about gamma tile, and again, I, I don't want to speak for the company and the product, but like, I feel like this is a, a great example of what precision medicine is, which is you focus precisely on what you need to do and where you need to do it by also avoiding, you know, having impact on, on healthy tissue. And so again, CyberKnife is a great, great product and technology, but you still see a lot of scatter, you know, a lot of scatter and you, no matter what you'll have entry dose. I think the other thing that this slide shows really well is if you look at the upper um, left, sorry, that's the coronal view. This one right here, those little white dots. Those yeah, are, yeah. These white dots. Those Let are me the zoom sources. In. So kind of what really helped gamma tile um, deliver this very complex. You're talking about these white dots right here, correct? Yes. That, um, the spacing in the gel really controls the how spread out those seeds of radiation are such that you get a nice conformal dose. Prior attempts at doing brachytherapy in the past for, for CNS malignancies, they didn't have a delivery vehicle like that. So the seeds would clump together. You'd get hot spots. You'd get cold spots. You'd get a lot of radiation necrosis. And that's kind of the one thing that's cool about this is um, – we took something that was not very well refined that was used in the past um, and a small little change, putting it in that matrix so that it's, it's got some space off of from the normal brain tissue. So it's not causing hot spots and it's arranged in a regular pattern. You're getting these beautiful plans. Got it. And, and that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, kind of a good, uh, Good segue. You know, Dr. McCracken, maybe if you could walk us through a little bit about the procedure and when it comes to implanting this, I, I would imagine that as a surgeon, you, you enjoy this because, you know, being able to test your skills and be really precise in the procedure is important. But if you can walk us through a little bit on the on the procedure side, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, um, there's not much to it. I mean, it is it is one of the easiest things that we are able to do. Um, you know, in in other you know settings, when we're handling radioactive materials, we typically wear, you know, lead gowns, thyroid shields. Sometimes we wear even lead gloves. Um, but the, the dose fall off from the radiation tiles is so sharp and so small that we don't wear any protective gear within the, uh, within the operative suite. Um, I that's, always wear that's, a, I've never heard that actually. So you don't wear, you don't, you don't, you don't wear a shield, nothing. I, I don't. The only thing I wear, I wear a ring badge on my finger. Uh, and as well, I, I also wear just a, a normal radiation badge um, because what happens is when we pick these tiles up, we just use a small bayonet. I pick them up out of a lead tray and I place them within the resection cavity uh, just in a, in a conformal pattern after we've resected the tumor uh, one by one. Um, we place them so quickly, probably less than five minutes that it takes us to place them, um, that the, you know, there's, there's so little amount of radiation. It's much less than even like an X-ray that we would get like for a, a spine surgery case, or if we're doing, you know, a heart case, whatever it may be. Um, and there's so much less scatter than a, just a standard X-ray. Um, we don't even wear, uh, any X-ray, excuse me, any lead, um, uh, coverings. And out of all the things, the, the ring badge that I wear, which is closest to the radiation material, um, it has never registered anything of significance. And so um, we really don't need to take much from a precaution standpoint. Um, but but from our standpoint, we, we do the surgery like normal. 
Uh, once the uh, tumor has been resected, then the radiation oncologists join us in the operating room. They prepare the tiles on a back table in a sterile fashion. Uh, we then pick them out one by one, place them, and then close up the brain like normal, and we're done. So it's a very simple procedure for us. Fantastic. Now, that being said, though, I do have to ask the radiation oncologist who's here to kind of talk about like his his take on the safety considerations, right? Yeah. So, Dr. Dr. Peach? So it's very, you know, compared to other forms of brachytherapy, um, especially brachytherapy that's delivered um, in, in the operating room, it is extremely safe. Um, so you, you have a couple of things going for you. One, you're placing this in a bowl that's surrounded by bone. Um, you know, it's a low energy x-ray compared to what we use in external beam machines where we need six feet of concrete. So the bone attenuates yeah. most of that. <laughs> most of that dose. So once, it, once, once you have the, the Calvaria placed back on top, there's hardly any radiation dose that comes out. And, and it's to the point where um, we have given it, um, not myself, but there has been uh, practitioners that have used it in pregnant patients, which normally wow. radiation is an absolute no-go anywhere in the body, external beam wise for pregnant patients because the photons, even if you're say radiating something up here, the photons do ping pong through you like a pinball machine and can get down to the pelvis. With the gamma tile, because it's enclosed in the in your skull and the base of skull is very thick, you know, there's basically nothing that's being transmitted down into the body. So very safe. You know, it, it's one of those things also that, um, you know, I do prostate seeds. You have to sit there and give a very long list to your patients of don't be around little kids or possibly pregnant people for at least four months. You know, uh, if you have pets that are breeding, you don't want them to be sitting in your lap uh, because they give off a decent amount of radiation over eight months. These patients live Realistically, by 36 days, they're not radioactive to the outside world. And when they are immediately post-op, it's such a small amount that is of no consequence, even to, you know, small children. That's fantastic. Now, you know, talking, talking a little bit, of, a little bit more about that, uh, Dr. McCracken, kind of, if you can touch a little bit on some of the, you know, side effects and complications, every medical technology is going to come with those, like some of the side effects and complications that come with gametile, and then how do you, yeah. how do you manage them? So I think the biggest fear that we have is, is radiation necrosis. And Dr. Peach tech, you know, touched on this just a little bit, but it's basically a really severe inflammatory reaction of the brain uh, once you've received too much radiation, right? So it's a combination of leaky blood vessels. It's a combination of, uh, you know, inflammatory cytokines, dead tissue, swelling within the brain. Uh, and it's basically this, uh, it can be very small or it can be very large. And we've seen both where, uh, basically, you get a lot of edema or swelling throughout the brain, uh, and a lot of this just big inflammatory contrast reaction within the resection cavity where it can spread, you know, throughout that. Um, I will say uh, a lot of it is proportional to how many radiation tiles we've placed or how much radiation somebody has received in the past. Um, the vast majority of patients that we have seen, we pick it up on MRI first rather than them being symptomatic and coming into us. So they may show a little bit of edema or swelling around the resection cavity. We typically tend to just watch that. And if it gets worse, we typically start with things like Decadron, which is just an oral steroid. Um, in patients who are extremely symptomatic, uh, maybe they've had a seizure. Maybe they're now having new focal neurological deficits. 
Um, sometimes we move on to Avastin, also called Bevacizumab, uh, which is like a super steroid, which sort of tends to shore up the leaky blood vessels uh, and sort of really reduce that inflammation. Um, but thankfully, the vast majority of patients do not need that. But the vast majority that do, you know, can be treated with either steroids or, you know, Bevacizumab. Got it. Got it. So, you know, next thing I kind of want to make sure to cover, it's, it's always important to talk about clinical evidence and, and how much there is usually, you know, for me in my career, you know, I've always been on, uh, with like new and cutting edge technology, which unfortunately does not come with very much clinical evidence. And so Dr. Peach, maybe, you know, as a radiation oncologist, can you talk about some of the clinical evidence that supports gametile? Because I'm sure in your due diligence process, uh, you know, you, you went pretty deep on it with, with, with gametile. So what, what's some of the clinical evidence that supports the use of it? So I, I think, um, probably the, the best evidence and, um, and it was one of the one of the things that really made me feel good about using gametile upfront for a glioblastoma for the first time was uh, Dr. Chen's series of recurrent uh, high grade gliomas. Um, basically, he had um, a single institution um, experience, but with um, twenty patients where um, these were recurrent grade threes, recurrent glioblastomas. Um, and gametile treatment uh, resulted in median survivals that were, you know, for, in, in, in the, you know, double digit 20 months, which is something that you don't see with just treating with chemotherapy. You don't see with treating with, with external beam, um, you know, maybe um, really small recurrences treated with gamma knife. You'll see that kind of, of outcome, but these p patients were living a lot longer than, would be expected. Uh, and then also they didn't really have any significant toxicity whatsoever. Um, so, you know, that, uh, Dr. Chen's experience, um, again, this is an early technology. We're working right now on the randomized trials to really, you know, show that these single institution and personal experiences are, uh, what, what in the broad, um, uh, broad sense, but, um, that's, that's been good. Um, also, um, you know, the initial work done by gamma tile to get FDA clearance, uh, they had implanted a significant amount of patients that had, uh, brain metastases. And so, um, you know, we're talking about dozens and dozens of patients that for me, uh, was very reassuring as far as the safety profile of the product. Got it. Fantastic. And Dr. McCracken, I, I, my next question is coming to you, but before we do that, I just want to remind our audience, if you have a question for Dr. McCracken or Dr. Peach, by the way, I, uh, my dyslexia acted up. Sorry, Dr. McCracken. I, I switched, <laughs> had a little uh, typo there. Uh, please go ahead and ask in the comment section. And by the way, quick shout out to Dr. Uh, Dr. Kankam, who said that he's enjoying, enjoying the show. So Dr. McCancom, thanks for joining us. Um, Dr. Dr. McCracken, when it comes to the effectiveness of gamma tile, how do you compare it to, let's say, other treatments when it comes to tumor control? And then also, uh, or I don't want to say more importantly, but yeah, probably more importantly, patient survival. Um, so I'd say, I mean, some of the most comparable things, you know, uh, if you're doing focal treatment for, you know, a brain metastasis, things like uh, gamma knife, the stereotactic radiosurgery platform, cyber knife, linear accelerator. Um, you know, if we're going to do it in a single focus treatment, uh, for smaller lesions, 
those patients tend to do really well. And, and some of the data supports it, not only from the trial, but some, you know, of our single centers where if you're treating smaller lesions, especially brain metastases, less than two and a half centimeters, the local control is excellent, right? Uh, we start getting more concerned when the cavities are larger, uh, you know, greater than two and a half, three, four, five centimeters. And then we have to start fractionating the treatments, right? So not only we're just giving a single dose with external beam, we're giving three, five, 10, or even 30, right? So uh, especially in GBM, uh, where, you know, standard of care treatment is, you know, 30 fractions uh, over six weeks, um, you know, we're, we're comparing that to a single procedure, right? So these patients, you know, some of them are able to, uh, you know, obviate the need for coming back for long periods of time for radiation, uh, but they're still getting a relatively bioequivalent dose, you know, to the resection cavity. So um, it's, it's honestly been pretty amazing. And, you know, there, there have been brachytherapy platforms in the past with different types of radioisotopes. Uh, uh, there are different types of cesium stranded seeds for one. Uh, that were in a different sort of carrier than what gametile uses. Uh, and ultimately, I, I think the gametile platform within the collagen, uh, you know, matrix that we place uh, is very safe. Uh, it delivers, delivers a very conformal dose of radiation. Uh, and, and honestly, we've been, we've been tremendously pleased with it. Well, that's fantastic. You know, one thing I, I wanted to cover, so patient selection is like, the most important thing, of course, between a neurosurgical oncologist and radiation oncologist, you know, being a team and really selecting the right patients for this. Um, can you walk us through? I mean, I'll, whoever wants to go first, please go first. But what what kind of factors do you consider when it comes to patient selection and who, you know, we can talk about what makes a good candidate for gametile, but also I would like if you could maybe share like, yeah, who's not a good candidate for gametile? So, I mean, I, I always look at, uh, number one, is this a tumor that I can, that I can get to, right? Uh, is it surgically accessible? Uh, and can I either get a gross total resection where basically nothing shows up on the MRI afterwards or a near total resection? Um, because, and, and, and that's very important because if you leave too much tumor behind, then the, the reach of the gametile is not going to affect that tumor appropriately, right? And then you're gonna to have to also get another dose of external beam radiation. So in my mind, if it's not something which can be removed almost completely, I, I don't even consider it, right? Um, or, you know, or there just has to be a very small amount of residual left. Um, so that's the first consideration. Number two, are, are they gonna need radiation, right? So um, these patients have to obviously need radiation afterwards. If they're not gonna need radiation, we're not even gonna consider it too. Um, we talked about the uh, the need for patients who may need to go to rehab, uh, and we're worried about a rapid early progression of tumor. Uh, and so we say, you know, are they going to need to go to rehab? Do they need radiation? Could this patient benefit so that they don't have this progression of tumor while they're waiting? That, or do they have transportation issues, right? Is this patient we're going to send back off to rural Georgia, and are they going to come back and get some type of therapy or not? If the concern is maybe not, then, then I absolutely consider those patients too. And, and Dr. Peach, how about, how about you? Yeah. So I, I, um, I agree with a lot of what Dr. McCracken was saying. Um, you know, it, it's, um, we're looking for people that are good operative candidates. Um, and it also depends on the situation. If it's a primary, uh, CNS malignancy, a lot of times the, how far do they have to travel? What are some socioeconomic things that might interfere with getting external beam radiation? Those are factors. When it comes to the metastatic patients or the 
lower grade uh, gliomas, the meningiomas that just keep recurring. Um, I'm spoiled in that I have gamma knife, I have cyber knife, I have, you know, the top of the line linear accelerators. And so we have a very robust uh, gamma knife radiosurgery tumor board with medical oncologist, neurosurgeon, radiation oncologist. And we'll sit there and we'll look at it. And if it's a patient that's had multiple treatments, we'll kind of look at it and say, all right, um, can we fit this other form of radiation in? Would it leave enough room for gametyl if we had to do it, you know, three years from now? Or, you know, we're not going to have that. We should do gametyl now. So those are, those are some of the kind of bigger picture considerations because in the end, what we're trying to do is not burn bridges with mm. other therapies and trying to maintain the quality of life. Got it. So then on the, on the, on the flip side of that, what, what would be some of the like main contraindications to it? Um, you know, I, I think uh, one is, you know, if someone has a very, very poor performance status, um, you know, it, it, that's one of those situations where we might question, do we want to even, does the patient want to even do a surgery given the potential morbidity? So that, so that's one thing you, you, you kind of are looking at healthier patients. Um, you know, they have, don't have to be in tip top shape, but if, if, if they are sort of at, unfortunately at the end of the road, that's something that we're, we're not looking at. Again, the, uh, the thing that we're being more cognizant of now is tumors that are right around the optic structures, not a situation that we see um, all too often. Um, and then, uh, oh, and one thing that can get in the way, unfortunately, it does still happen is we do have some patients that have MR incompatible uh, pacemakers and other equipment in their body. So if we, um, it, you can try to plan off of a CT scan, but it's just not, uh, that's just tough. It's just, yeah, it's just it's a different imaging modality. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, yeah. you know, unless we're sort of in a, in a more ideal situation that kind of will preclude a lot of people, which again, not a situation that happens all too often. Got it. Got it. And then like, just in general, um, you know, one of the things I like about new technology specifically like this is that what do you see if you were to scope out five, 10 years from now, 15 years in terms of the future when it comes to gametyl treatment and therapy? Uh, where, where do you see that going? So, I mean, I think the one thing, uh, if you want to bring up my last slide. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, the thing that I'm the most excited about, um, and, and Dr. McCracken has, has touched on this too, is the utilization of gametyl for, for glioblastoma. You know, when we were initially using it, you know, it seemed this like- This one right very, here? Uh, oh, sorry. Second to last. Um, just one up right here. Uh, when we initially used it, we, we kind of thought, oh, this is great for patients that, you know, live far away. We're going to have a hard time getting an external beam. Then, you know, the Eureka was, wow, we can really use this for patients that have these more benign tumors that just keep coming back. Uh, but then, you know, we've had phenomenal um, phenomenal success treating glioblastoma up front. And where I see things, and, and that's where we're where the gametyl is going now with randomized trials, looking for the upfront use of, of glioblastoma. Uh, you know, this slide basically shows that the progression has been slow for glioblastoma. You know, maximal safe resection gave historically three to six months. <coughs> now we found out at external beam, that helps a little bit. If we go up to 60 gray, we're looking at 12 months. Then mm. you add temozolomide, getting a little bit more in medium survival, 
you had tumor treatment fields, which is an alternating electric field that you, you unfortunately have to wear for 18 hours a day. Um, that really pushed it a little bit further in the in ideal patients. Um, but with regular dose escalation studies with external beam, going beyond 60 grade didn't get any benefit. But with gametile, for many, many, many reasons, I think that the, the, the experience that Dr. McCracken and I have had with patients who are more than a year out with no evidence of disease recurrence, we're going to see that in the randomized trials. And that's because you're getting immediate radiation just after surgery. You're getting radiation over, you know, approximately 28 days where it's constantly chipping away at any residual seeds. Um, and at the same time, you know, you're, you're getting, um, you know, more biological dose than you would with standard radiation therapy. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I see is, is in the future, gametile um, being kind of the, the next big milestone uh, for glioblastoma treatment. Got it. And, you know, so, Dr. McCracken, let me come back to you. Like for physicians who are interested in getting, uh, like learning more, essentially getting trained, because obviously you can't just, you know, you have to get trained for this. Like what's, what's, the, what's the best way for them to uh, learn more about it and also get trained? Um, you know, honestly, you know, starting at the website is a great place to go. Um, you know, they can help you find, you know, centers which, which do it. Uh, there are tons of wonderful reps probably, you know, close by that can also help. And then, you know, people like, you know, Dr. Peach and myself, I mean, we, we, we talk to physicians all the time who are interested, who want to learn, Hey, is this patient a good candidate or not? How many tiles should I order? You know, uh, can, you know, can this physically be done? So, you know, use us as resources because we do this all the time and we're happy to share our experience with people. Absolutely. And then for those who are listening on, on our podcast, you can go to gtmedtech.com and you'll be able to uh, find some, uh, you know, different events and different ways to get trained there as well. Um, fantastic. So maybe let's jump into something a little bit more interesting for both of you. If you could share maybe a case study uh, where Gamtile did make a really big difference in a treatment outcome, uh, feel free to take it in any direction. Again, I have both of your slides uh, ready if you need me to reference anything. Um, I'm happy to show one. If do you have mine, Omar? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, what? Uh, which which slide do you there's want me to go to? That, how about that big malignant meningioma? Oh yeah, that's a really good slide. Yeah. Um, so this was a. Uh, so let me let me go to it real quick. So that for those who are yeah. watching, that's the actual device. That's the gamma tile, and you can see how small it is. You know. Yeah. But let me see. Uh, was it this one right here? No. Keep going keep going oh i know i remember which one it is uh no not that uh that here we go right here. yeah yeah so this was actually a great uh, example of a couple different um you know things that we've talked about where you know this was uh, this was a 65 year old gentleman who, who was from the north georgia mountains that had actually been treated by a colleague of mine uh, about six months earlier had a large tumor similar to this but not quite as big uh, he had resected it. It came back as a grade two meningioma. Uh, in all fairness, uh, the, the data out on grade two meningiomas is, is not great. And so uh, I don't blame him for not giving radiation to this guy up front. But basically within six months, this tumor had completely recurred and almost doubled in size from his initial uh, tumor. And so um, this guy was very adamant. I was going to say, 
the this is a pretty rare looking meningioma too because usually i'm used to them being like really round and demarcated yeah. this is like deformed it's this is like this is a rare case would you agree it is it is and i mean and ultimately i mean this was scary because if you can actually look there's actually tumor coming out of the burr hole in the bone underneath the scalp and so you can see there there's oh yeah here let me zoom in on that yeah a little deformity on the scalp uh, yeah up, right there uh, no, no, no. Go to that top left corner, the top left picture. There you go. You can actually see it right there. Uh, there's actually yeah. uh, the deformity in the scalp where there's actually tumor coming out from under the bone into the scalp. And so when you, um, when you examine the patient, could you, were you able to actually see it upon physical examination as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was wow. like a, a small horn in the top of his scalp. Um, and, you know, this, this guy was adamant that uh, he did not want Oh, right here, correct. Uh, back for radiation. That's right. He did not want to yeah. come back for radiation. He really didn't want to come back to Atlanta to get any more treatment. So we kind of knew we had one, you know, one chance to help him. And so um, we knew this was going to be aggressive. We knew he didn't want to come back for treatment. So we said, let's let's go back in again. Let's put tiles in. And so when we went back in, we were able to get a very nice gross total resection on this gentleman. This came back as a grade three meningioma, so a, a malignant meningioma. Uh, we laid down 18 and a half tiles. So this is a massive tile case for us. Uh, in comparison, the average number of tiles are placed are between four and six, probably. Um, so this was a massive case. And so, but thankfully, uh, this gentleman had no evidence of local recurrence for two years after this. And so um, this just goes to show you that not only did he not have to get external beam, he went on from a local, you know, control standpoint to do extremely well. And so um, I, I love to show this case because, uh, it just shows, you know, I think sort of the power of it and, um, you know, kind of really highlights some of the things that we've talked about for, you know, how we use these and how we select patients for this treatment. Yeah. And again, uh, just, just as an outsider observing this, what's unique is that, you know, not, I, I would say this is kind of like a zebra case, right? So not all cases are going to be like this, but I think that having that ability to use very precise mm -hmm. deliverance of radiation therapy whether it's a your usual case when it comes to meningioma or glioblastoma or this extremely rare case, it, it must feel good as a physician to have more control versus again, and I don't want to like knock any other products, but like the old way was that you have sort of the scatter approach, right? But this way you have a much more tailored approach and you have more control, with, you know, as yeah. a neurosurgeon and as a radiation oncologist. Am I right, gentlemen? In yeah, saying I mean, that? It's, it is a, you know, it, it is a tool we didn't have five years ago, right? I mean, and, and five years ago, we probably would have done our best given him external beam. And, you know, he probably would have had significant frontal lobe dysfunction from all the radiation we would have had to give him. Um, and so now it's just it is another wonderful tool that we are finding ways to incorporate into all these different disease processes. And so um, it, it, you're right. I mean, it's one of these things that uh, we are bringing it up more and more in all of our tumor boards and we're seeing it pop up more and more in all these different, you know, clinical trials and, you know, uh, single institution series. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to see it. And I hope really, you know, more people adopt it because I think it is a wonderful, you know, tool for us. No, absolutely. And Dr. Peach, any, any, anything to add, add any other, any cases you want to, you, you want to reference? Yeah. So I think, uh, the, the case that really got me excited, uh, the most about game was that first, uh, glioblastoma case. So if you, if you could go into my slide deck, um, basically this was a, a patient, a younger patient who had both psychiatric and, uh, drug, uh, abuse issues that, um, basically was, uh, living on the streets. Um, 
Uh, pull parents, that up real quick. Parents couldn't control her. Um, and so when we talked about treating her, uh, this she, case, uh, no, the uh, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Next one. Ah, this one right here. Oh, no, no. One back. One back. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, yeah. So, so this thing went from being just a little ditzel that we were like, man, maybe it's a low grade glioma to looking like this in two months. So, this was even within glioblastoma, it's very aggressive. That's and extremely so, aggressive. How old, how old was the patient? Uh, she was uh, in her early 40s. And, oh, um, and otherwise was doing pretty functionally well. Um, but she had all these social issues. And so thinking about doing six months of radiation therapy, I mean, six weeks of external beam radiation therapy, we didn't think it was going to be possible. Um, so we talked to her and this was, you know, very early on, this was before, you know, there was any, anyone had talked about doing glioblastoma at other centers. And so we figured we can at least treat the tumor bed with this and she'll at least get that and now at least keep things under control for a while. So we went ahead and did that. Um, and what ended up happening was that she, after the surgery really cleaned up her act was stable. So we saw the, saw the parents about four weeks out and I was like, well, do you think she could get external beam too? Because typically with glioblastoma, you treat, uh, the dose right around the, the surgical cavity, to a high dose of 60 gray. And then because it is very creepy crawly, we do a moderate dose outside of that. And so she was missing that moderate dose aspect. So we went ahead and uh, if you go to the next slide. Oh, so right that's, here. that was the, that was the dose delivery from the gamma tile. So then we, we spent, um, and this attests to, if you go to the next slide, this attests to, you know, when, when you're asking about how can people learn about this, how they can get support with this, uh, the people at Gamma Tile have been amazing to work with. And, and this is one of the best demonstrations of this in that uh, we worked with um, the, the inventor, um, Dr. Brockman, as well as the main physicist for weeks trying to figure out how do we convert uh, Gamma Tile to like external beam dose. Uh, and then I had a very talented dosimetrist who figured out a way to basically create a donut hole where the gamma tile dose was and have it match up to what was delivered already. And that's the, the donut hole is what the external beam is on the left. And then the combination of the two, this is ideally what you want to do for an external beam plant, high dose in red, moderate dose in yellow is on the right. And, uh, miraculously one, the one thing that I noticed was that, you know, at the planning scan, uh, for the external beam, there was no recurrence of disease whatsoever. There wasn't that rim of disease that was growing, which we, we often see. Uh, and then if you go to the next picture. This one right here. She's now almost two years out, and that's what her imaging looks like. That's this really is the kind of imaging you don't see typically with glioblastoma. Uh, really no evidence of of re residual disease. And also in this case, you know, and, and with her, because we're combining the external beam, we're doing this dose matching. I was really worried about radiation necrosis and, uh, you know, we don't see any of it. Um, so, it, you know, this case really was um, just showed how well it works, um, had an amazing impact on this patient because she really cleaned up herself. I mean, this was like, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, oh, an awakening moment for her to change how her life was. And normally, you know, this might come too late, but she's now had two very great years after uh, her surgery. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, just in, in wrapping up, um, you know, one, I, I want to have uh, both of you share some final thoughts, but, you know, one of the things I wanted to cover, but then uh, just coincidentally, so sometimes, uh, you know, again, I'm going to encourage our audience, if you have questions, drop it in the comments section. That being said, some people have questions where they do not want to be identified. So they usually DM me. So I have a question, a physician question, and it was kind of a long one. So I kind of summarize it here, but essentially what this physician was asking, she wanted to know, like, what's the best way for me to get my hospital to adopt this, like outside of her clinical support? And I think the biggest thing is that as clinicians, um, let me uh, put that as a, uh, as a scroll real quick. I think as clinicians, you know, uh, providing your clinical support and validation to a, to the technology. That's what every clinician knows how to do. I think where they struggle is just saying, thinking like, okay, like how do I go forward like to the value analysis committee and how do I get more support? Um, for me, I think like recruiting other clinicians to support you is always helpful, but I'm wondering for both of you, I mean, what's your advice to physicians in terms of how do you go about like really pushing the hospital to adopt this kind of technology? So I I think that, um, and, and I'd love to hear what Dr. McCracken thinks about this. From my perspective, I think the buy-in from radiation oncologists is, is one of the more rate-limiting steps. Um, you know, for neurosurgeons, if they talk to a colleague who has done it, they realize that this really is not adding much to doing a craniotomy and a resection. For radiation oncologists, a lot of radiation oncologists don't do procedural radiation. And when they think of procedural radiation, they think of being in the OR for hour or two or more. Because uh, that's kind of, if you're doing seed implantations for prostate therapy, you're in the OR for a long time. And that doesn't work with a lot of smaller centers where there's only one radiation oncologist. Right. Um, with this, I think it's really letting the radiation oncologist know that your role in here is mostly on the back front end in trying to figure out how many tiles there are, the back end to show how much dose you got. And the actual delivery of the tiles is, you know, 10 minutes. So it's, it's really not a... So radiation oncology, it, it has to be in the room, but rather than a few hours, they're in there for like 10 minutes because it is small. It's, it's, it's a rather quick and easier procedure. Is that correct? Yes. The, 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 the neurosurgeons are, are, are they're, they're the heavy lifters in, in most of this. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, our, our role is very, very brief um, as in the OR, which is, that's the big concern with radiation oncologists. So I think the, the adoption, I think that one of the big hurdles is radiation oncology. And if they really get to talk to someone who's a practitioner and know kind of realistically, what does this mean for them as far as their schedule? Um, they wouldn't be so um, averse to it. Got it. Got it. Dr. McCracken, how about you? What are your, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, advice? I mean, I, I will say that initially our hospital is very concerned about the reimbursement um, from an insurance standpoint. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, with an implantable surgery, you know, the DRG, which ultimately results in the reimbursement to the hospital, actually gets kicked up to a higher reimbursement type of DRG for the for the hospital. So, um, you know, they were really concerned about, you know, basically the cost of the product, you know, minus the, you know, the expenses of the surgery, you know, what they would ultimately return. And, you know, we've done now almost 60 cases uh, here at Piedmont. Um, and I don't, I don't think we have we have yet to lose money on a single case from the either whether it's, you know, commercial or Medicare reimbursement. So, um, you know, that's that was a very strong driver for us about implementing something like this. And, and then I, I agree with Dr. Peachman. You, you have to get buy in from uh, your physicist team, 
your radiation oncology team, your neurosurgery team. Uh, but ultimately, I think once you start seeing the benefits to patients and a lot of these patients that you may have had no options at all, and now you're actually able to provide them with something, um, then it's, it's a, I think it's a win-win for everybody ultimately. Got it. But it, it, just to kind of play out, uh, to uh, reference back what Dr. Peach said, it sounds like the rate limiting step here is to make sure that the radi- radiation oncology understands and champions the product. Because if, if you can't do that, then like, doesn't matter how many people you get behind it, radiation oncology can block it essentially. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, one of those things- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. McCracken. No, I was just going to say, I mean, and, and he knows better than I do, but I mean, ultimately the, you know, they're the ones with the license, you know, to, to hold the material and, you know, uh, so, I mean, of course you have to have radiation oncology buy-in. Yeah. And I think it's, you gotta, you gotta look at the big picture. Um, the reimbursement is getting less and less for radiation oncology as time goes on, as with most fields of specialties in medicine. Um, but what the hospital will get, um, as far as reimbursement from the radiation side give versus how much effort that we have to put in from the radiation and oncology standpoint side, it's very little effort. So, so from, from a, from a, a, a reimbursement per time standpoint, it's very good. The other thing is, is that um, system wise, when you're talking to the hospital, and this was a discussion that we had um, with, with our system was these patients are living longer and they're, you know, when it comes down to the, the whole, even if you weren't able to charge to the higher level for the craniotomy and resection, these patients are ending up getting more modalities of treatment later on when they pop up with disease elsewhere, because we're now in the kind of oligometastatic, uh, you know, phase of, of cancer therapy, where if you have just a few meta, uh, metastatic lesions, it's not game over. We, we can we can spot treat those people are living very long with that so the long-term benefit financially to systems it's a it's a major gain you just have to you know present that to the the, the decision makers got it. got it understood well and just you know again we're, we're at time so we we appreciate you spending some time with us but if both of you can kind of wrap up give your kind of final thoughts uh you know two physicians that you want to share to, to, to people listening, uh, whether it's here on the live stream, but of course, like, you know, this is going to be on a podcast and everything. Any final thoughts about uh, gametile, the, the approach to this uh, procedure and the adoption of it? I mean, I, I would just say that, you know, we initially started this with treating, you know, the worst of the worst patients, right? I mean, people who had no options uh, and then, you know, quickly, you know, really, you know, developed our program into, treating patients with upfront brain metastases and GBM because we were seeing such good results. And so um, it does take a little bit of uh, belief because there's not a, you know, dearth of data out there. You know, we are working on that uh, with multiple clinical trials going on. Uh, and so I think, I think that we're going to see really good data within the next, you know, couple of years after all these centers have put forth all their data. So it does take a little bit of faith to adopt a new technology like this. Um, but I think, you know, anecdotally from our center, uh, from Sean Center, from, you know, MSK, from MD Anderson, all these people who are using it, um, you know, we're really seeing, you know, tremendous results with respect to local control and overall survival with some of these really, you know, aggressive tumors. And so um, I think it is absolutely worth looking into uh, if you're a center that treats brain tumors. Um, and it's and it's just a, it's a wonderful extra tool that, you know, we didn't have years ago that we do now, and it's worth incorporating. Got it. 
Gosh, fantastic. And then Dr. Peach, how about you? Kind of take, take us home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. It's a tool that, um, you know, was very niche at first, but as time has gone on, um, we're just finding more and more uses for it. Um, and, and that's having significant impact on people's lives. Um, you know, for the non-radiation oncology crowd, I guess I would say my excitement behind this being a brachytherapy platform is in oncology, they always talked with chemotherapy about the hypothetical magic bullet, being able to put a toxin right in the tumor to kill the tumor. With, brachy, with brachytherapy and, and gametile, that's the radiation, the radiation equivalent of it, uh, being able to put the radiation just where you need it and not having all the toxicity that comes with it going elsewhere. And so, um, again, because we, we don't have the limitations of entry dose, we don't have the limitations of slower dose fall off, um, you know, as these studies match to the personal experiences that practitioners have had, um, I think it's going to make a very uh, big impact uh, for CNS uh, oncology. Fantastic. Fantastic. That being said, we're at the hour again. We uh, really appreciate you guys spending some time with us. I just want to remind the listeners, for those who are listening live or on recording, if you're interested and you want to get your CME credit, you do get an AMAPRA Category 1 CME credit from this. Uh, You'll be getting an email or you can just follow up with your local GT medical representative and they'll be able to provide that link. And for those who are interested, uh, go to learn more and also get trained on Gamatile. Just head to gtmedtech.com. A lot of really great resources, uh, very interesting uh, things that you can check out there. So that being said, my name is Omar Khatib. This is another episode of the State of MedTech. Dr. McCracken, Dr. Peach, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has an executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.